why am I going to use what you're using if I know what I'm using is working? As long as you can prove that it works and it's efficient, I, I haven't had any problem. I've had guys that were one year shy of retiring, willing, interested in learning it because it worked. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Rebecca Lewis from Allison Smith. She's a self-taught Revit expert, electrician, and has in-depth experience actually and practically implementing technology into the field. She is also a big advocate for the skilled trades. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Hi. Excited to, to have you and get the, the insider's look at the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I always like to start with how you got into the construction industry to begin with. What, what was the appeal? Um, hmm, that's a funny one. My father's an electrician. And okay. when I was in high school, I wanted to go to college to be a graphic designer. And I took one class and the instructor was a graphic designer that said from month to month, she could pay all her bills or live on ramen noodles. And I just couldn't see doing that. So this was a way to combine the both. Yeah. So I got to do a little bit of like the design stuff and that was my art. And I liked working with my hands versus sitting behind a desk. So I went to the apprenticeship to be yeah. an electrician. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, I, I think one of the um, kind of issues going on in the, the industry right now is trying to get that message out more to people to pull them into construction that you, you don't have to go behind a, a desk job or anything like that. You can come into the trades and it's a, an incredible career opportunity. Uh, how, how do you think we should kind of amplify that, that message and, and get it out more to attract people into construction? Uh, as a parent, I wish the schools would stop making it seem like college was the only choice. Um, yeah. I feel like they, they convince these kids that it's either this way or you're a failure. So mm -hmm. they put so much focus on the EB path and these uh, charter schools. And that's the only option. You have to go to college. They don't even bring up options of trades or trade schools or alternates to having a college degree. Mm -hmm. So I just, it seems like I wish they were more realistic. I, mm -hmm. I don't feel like they prep the kids for reality. It's like this book. Uh, I don't know if it's the perfect definition for from the board of ed or whatever. I don't know what makes them only promote those options because they don't even entertain other options. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, on a, a recent episode, we were chatting about the the terms blue collar and, and white collar and kind of the the outdated nature really uh, of using those phrases and the, really the, just the, a misperception, I think that is applied yeah. to those and trying to kind of move away from those. It's just, it's not needed. It's something from the fifties, the you know, why are we still using these terms? <laughs> yeah, that, and uh, it amazes me that they make it seem like uh, trade professions don't have a financial like financial stability. And mm. most of the people I know that went to college are massively in debt and their jobs are hard to find 
I mean, like we constantly are hiring all these architectural uh, interns or, or backgrounds in interior design and architect just because they know how to use Revit and it's, they have no clue about electric, no real interest in it. And it's, it's insane. And also uh, more down here in the South than in the North, when I was in Maryland, they had started adopting this whole process that you could get hired with the bachelor's or if you had X amount of years of experience. And in my opinion, the experience far outweighs the degree, but down here, it seems to be still the mindset that without that degree, you aren't going to get any job of any significance, Mm -hmm. which is insane. Like I did, I definitely went the long way uh, to getting where I'm at now, but shouldn't have taken that long like it should have been an easier route and had it been the adopted process they have now it would have been quicker Mm -hmm. so i just wish they that that was more known because if it weren't for me telling my daughter that she would never know that not that she has any interest to, to be an electrician but nonetheless i mean her father's a auto mechanic i'm an electrician like all of my family is in some kind of trade and all of us do very well. Yeah. So it's just crazy that they act like they don't do well. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, the the I ask every single guest how they got in. The most common answer is through a family connection for sure. That that's how they they stumbled in or not stumbled in, but they got into the construction industry. But then you see those uh, stats and the charts of comparing somebody coming right out of college to somebody that is coming out of their apprenticeship and, you know, you see their, their annual salary that they're making. And then the, you add in all the, the debt of, of college and everything. And the, the person going to the apprenticeship is <laughs> comes out way better in their early twenties than uh, going the, the four-year degree route. And I, I think being able to, we have to do a better job really as a society of presenting those options and not saying this one is better than the other. It's just, here, here's your options. Some people are going to do great in one path and right. some people are doing great in the other path and, you know, match it to the kid. Yeah. That's the thing that gets me. I don't see why they don't realize if they advertise both options, the kids that were going to go to college are always going to go to college. Like mm-hmm. my daughter always like, well, she, if it weren't, she got into JRTC. So she's actually going to boot camp, but, um, Prior to that, she always wanted a science type of degree, chemistry, yeah. uh, that type of area. It never changed, no matter what I did, no matter who, how much money I made, she was that way. And I, I don't think any student is, is going to all of a sudden say, oh, my interests, my my goals are all of a sudden going to change. I'm just going to abandon college because they mentioned this. They're just too headstrong. Teenagers are way too determined. They're going to go the route they're going to go all you're pretty much doing is the 50% that was never going to go to college just thinks they're never going to amount to anything. And I, right. that's insane to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be a, a threatening thing. I think, you know, when you were just talking there, the, the thought that popped in my mind is well, why, why would it be threatening if, if people choose the, the trades over college? And I think that there's some, there's this weird competitiveness <laughs> between those two approaches where it, we, we need people in the trades and doing those jobs. Yeah. I mean, the the country would 
literally crumble yeah, right. <laughs> without that work, you know, so there, there shouldn't be this weird <laughs> competitiveness there, but <laughs> I wonder sometimes if it's not an ulterior motive with the schools, because the more they can say they have college, kid college graduates and college uh, employed, they look better. I don't know yeah. if they really truly are in it for the student. It's more about what benefits them. They get more money. They get more accolations and praise, and it makes them a, a higher rated school. Yeah. And I think that's- Well, I think that's, that's a, for sure. That plays a, a huge component to it, yeah. even though it- the the trade schools should should count <laughs> in those stats as well too um, yeah. yeah so let's kind of on some of the the myth busting aspect of it you know i think one of the um the things that i kind of preach on a, a lot is there's a marketing problem in construction and there's a perception problem that the people don't see the the technology and the the creative problem solving and the the innovation that's happening here in the industry. So from your perspective on kind of the, the day-to-day aspect of construction, what does new technology really look like? How's that get introduced to the field? I'd love to just kind of sit on that and kind of pick your brain some. Um, it, to me, it's, it's amazing. Like given the way that customers are now they think they have money that means they get things quicker and cheaper and quicker and cheaper and every time the tools and the things that are available now with the 3d modeling and the the cloud-based storages and the data vaults and it allows those field guys who don't have the time to do the design to be able to still contribute from a kind of a backhanded way by looking through this model and and being able to plan it that way and contribute when prefab has become such a huge thing you know like so much of our world is is prefab so it can be cheaper and quicker and also to account for the lower amount of people that are signing in and joining you know you mm-hmm. the the quality of people that sign up for the apprenticeships in the local has progressively gone down in drastic numbers. So the amount of prefab that goes is is compensating. These tools are neat now. The guys that are in seniority positions enjoy them. You know, as long as the training's provided and they get to truly understand it, they really are able to kind of come back into it and be able to design it and and have more of a... uh, bragging rights. Like I always think to me, like that was the one thing I hated about prefab when I was in the field because you took away, I mean, any electrician worth anything, they could design a electrical room in their head. You know, it was like their bragging rights. You like, they took so much pride in it and taking away somebody's pride in their whole, like what defines them. It really is a, it's, it's devastating in my opinion, but this gives them a way back to it. Like the um, tools that are available with the, the all of the storages and the tying in with the Navisworks and Revit and the, the field being able to contribute and the collaboration, I think it gives them more of that pride back, which is nice to see. Like it, it's a huge asset to me. It's really interesting on the, um the kind of stripping away the the pride aspect of it. How should technology do a, a 
better job and like the, the tech providers do a better job of communicating that it's, it's not necessarily stripping away that, that pride aspect. It's maybe changing it or like changing how it it comes out and, and comes across, but, um, that it's, it is, you're still part of it. You're, you're still empowered and, and enabled to have that design function. I don't know. Am I making sense here? Uh, yeah, I think with some of the stuff, it's never going to be an option because they're at a job site and some software requires you sitting at a desk and having a, a much larger system. But some sure. of the ones that could, like even with Autodesk, it frustrates me that their Navisworks, you cannot get it to download on iPads and iPhones. You have to purchase a data vault so that you can have a true laptop that can download Navisworks. But if that, like BIM 360 is something new that all clients don't do. With that, they are able to do it on their iPad. And if if they offered more in that, that Navisworks one that allowed them to truly work stuff up more efficiently, you know, right now you can draw some lines and you can add some text, but you can't even do that in the version that is distributed to the field. You have to, it's the, the more expensive, the managed version that cannot be downloaded. Mm-hmm. So when you use, if they made it so that the field could comment and mark up and it was something that was actually possible, um, it would make it nicer. It seems like Procore is going down that road. Uh, they've made a, almost like a video game joystick way of bringing in models to their software. Mm-hmm. And it is much, more user-friendly. Um, the the huge other thing to that is anything that they offer, they do not offer training. Like to go onto a website after you've bought software and, and be able to download training videos that the field will be fine useful and, and, and kind of shorter 30 minutes, hour, but are entertaining enough that they'll pay attention. They just don't exist. Like we, I try constantly to find them and it's either you have to watch like a hundred of them and you have to go and like, um, you guys offer them for Autodesk software, mm-hmm. but there is thousands of them and they're like two minutes, one minute, five minutes. Cause they're so focused on certain aspects. It's right. not a general, and it's only about the, the main user, not how other collaborators can use it. And I don't think and most software doesn't as a whole. I, none of them really do a good job, in my opinion, of making a very good training video that people are looking to watch. For yeah. the, the basic user, not not the tech savvy guys that are in the field that are have always been tech savvy are the ones they'll watch them, they'll go look at anything. But the vast majority is not. So it's just not intriguing. They find them really boring or they last too long or they don't focus on things that they care about. So I feel like if they could figure out a way to focus on that. Hey, innovators, is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free 
at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah. How would you, where would you start? If like, if you could design your perfect training setup for the field, (laughs) what what does that look like? Where would you start? How would you build that out? Um, Being able to do almost like a job simulation, uh, uh, something that was quick enough or, or somebody had enough time to plan it on the front end, but had all of the tools there, the data vaults, the iPads, the softwares, and could run through the thing from start to finish for like a day, like an eight hour class or something, or two, you know, like an OSHA long class, but that the guys could, okay, now are you gonna do this with this project? It was small enough that it would, it, it was feasible, but detailed enough that they could do from start to finish and see how all of the tools would benefit them. Mm-hmm. But yeah. them More being able on. to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the guys I know, it, hands-on is always gonna be better. Yeah. Because then they can also figure out what they don't understand. And they're just listening to somebody talk. They don't know until they try it and it doesn't work for them until they walk away and they're having to do it and it doesn't work. And they usually give it up if somebody's not able to answer the question right there. Right. And that's what sucks. Yeah. How uh, do you go about maybe encouraging a a mindset shift as well, too? Because, you know, embracing new technologies never fun really for anybody learning new programs and new software you have to kind of relearn how to think even on a lot of stuff that you're like well i could do this way faster and easier the old way just because you that's how you know it uh right the the new way may be faster in in time once you know that but uh you know the old way so you're comfortable with it how how do you encourage people to uh be open to changing it's worked for me because I've been in the field. Like I actually work with my tools. So some mm. of the guys that I'm more willing or I'm more comfortable being on a job site than being in the office. I always have been. So mm. if I can do something and then prove to them that it'll work. And I'm also stubborn enough that I'll push. I mean, you've got to be willing to defend what you're doing. Like if you cannot validly defend it and, and fight back on this, you, I mean, they're going to, they're going to be combative off, which I would be too. Why am I going to use what you're using if I know what I'm using is working? But if right. you can prove to them, 95% of them, what, as long as you can prove that it works and it's efficient, I, I haven't had any problem. I've had guys that were one year shy of retiring, willing, interested in learning it because it yeah. worked. They were able to, there was some aspect about it that, oh, sh- that's, that's something I want to do. I need that. I, if I can figure out a way to tie it into them, but also um, from a company perspective, I, we're trying to find intriguing things and write a little like two or three sentence paragraph about each of these apps and how the field guys could use them so that uh-huh. we can distribute it. Like the apps on the iPad, like we've been, uh, our department has spent days and hours <laughs> trying to search all of the available apps and figure out, okay, these are some good ones that we recommend. And this is why we think they're good and what they benefit. And also scrubbing like the applied softwares, the Microsoft websites, YouTube, and finding the training videos, or even sitting through some training classes and recording them so that we can create some kind of website that, okay, you guys, you said you would use it if you know how to use it. So now you have every year, you got, I don't care what you pick, pick these 
Because yeah. I feel like it requires the company being well to spend the money too. Like you need to put the money and the time into training these guys and and making the tools available and and not, okay, we like it. Like Tremble's a really good one. The guys finally are really liking it, but the second they go to use it and we either don't have a machine or the guy that we trained, we left at a job site and now we have no one to do it, then they abandon it again. So it's like, right. <laughs> it's it's, the company is 50% at fault, in my opinion, 90% yeah. of the time, because it does require you take a loss on the front end, financially, time savings wise, because you got to sell it. I don't. And if you don't commit to it, the field's never going to buy it. Yeah. I'm just louder and more obnoxious than most people. So I push it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you said a couple of really interesting things there. So, uh, one on the, the ROI and, and kind of being prepared to take the, the loss on the, the front side of things. I, I think a, a trap that construction falls into easily is tying everything specifically to, you know, the, this specific project, instead of seeing that longer term view, yeah. any new technology adoption is going to take a long-term process. It's going to be slow at the beginning. And then you're going to ramp up faster and faster. So you, you have to have that long-term view because if you're just looking at what's the, the next project, it's always going to be slower as you're learning something new, no matter what, it could be a software, it could be a, a new tool. It could be, you know, whatever new thing, it's going to be slower learning it. Uh, and then I love that you guys are pairing it with the why and explaining the why to the field guys as well. I think that that's a, it's a huge problem. I see in construction is that whoever the, the innovator or the, the technologist is at the company, they get it from their perspective and they get it the why of why it's going to be good and beneficial for the company. And that's what they tell every single person that has to go along and, and implement it. And they're not changing the, the messaging for the specific person that they're talking to. So the field guide's like, yeah, I get it for you for the technologist, but <laughs> That doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> yeah, that but is definitely do <laughs> You're right. That's the complaint I've heard the most. They feel like they're not being listened to. Yeah. Like they hear the same crap over and over and over. They're like, I don't want to hear that again. I asked you for this. Like the ironic thing is the, the most basic thing they want is to learn how to write emails. Like just to use emails. And for the life of me, the, I don't know why they won't give it to them. I guess... They think it's, they're being like, the guys are being dramatic, but they're being dead serious. And they just don't think they're being taken seriously. So that sucks. I hate yeah. that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it, well, on a, what I, I would do that, a, a small, quick win that everybody could, <laughs> could get, you know, pure. Uh, that's, that's hard. <laughs> you're not going to be taken seriously on a, a small win. Trusting in those bigger wins is. Yeah you just put another hurdle in your way yeah well it just uh, breaks morale yeah the guys are already they're miserable the guy you know they have these idiots that come work for them that literally you know don't know how to do anything or they're the generation that my daughter is in that is 95 percent entitled somehow they they all come out of school thinking everybody's going to bend over backwards for them and do nothing for them so it's amazing, you know, it's like, you mean the world's gosh. not going to do that? 
So I feel for the guys. I guess I feel for them more than most people do. They're like sitting in the office and they're like, you got to stop sympathizing. Well, I've been there and I'm also a parent, so I get it. Like, if I'm not going to stick my neck out for him, why do I expect him to do the same for me? Like, I just feel like we got to give them more. Hell, we only make money if they do a good job. So it's like stupid not to give them what they want within reason, obviously. But yeah, they're the reason we make or lose money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take time to, I mean, the construction is a relationship business. It's if you discount a relationship anywhere along the, the pathway there, you just did yourself a, a huge disservice. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like you, you gotta, you gotta get along with people in order to, to see results. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think is, is one of the, the biggest hurdles that the industry is, is facing and having to, to overcome right now? Hmm. ironically BIM so as okay. much as I I love Revit and 3D and as awesome as it is for me to see more customers going that way because I think it's like I don't care what size of a job I think you can make it work for you like I think it's better it is the easiest thing to screw up like if the the, the GC running a job doesn't really understand BIM or is just taking on a job or, or says they know how to do BIM just to get a job and they really don't, it, it, it can cause that model to be a joke. And then oh, yeah. companies that do BIM, but aren't willing to put the time and energy and, and bring like bring field guys in and, and teach them the computer so that you know what the end result of that model and those drawings are is accurate because it can be installed identical to the model if the guys, you know, if whoever's modeling it is taking the time and knows what they're doing. Mm. And also having people in the company that are going to have this expectation, like most people I've found that are 30 and under their whole internal uh, self-drive or, or give a, excuse my language, about the end result is so low. Their expectation, they do not push themselves to want to have this bragging right. So if a company lets a whim get away with it, it's so hard to recover it, especially now with, with the COVID and people using that excuse or companies allowing people to stay at home. Construction is not a trade that you can work from home, but most companies have allowed people to stay at home too long. So now they don't want to come back to work. Right. So if you're not making sure that the drawings and the end result is up to a, an expectation and a standard, from a company perspective and an end result that's being submitted to the client and the GCs are spending the time to learn how to use the model and, and actually run a meeting that is, is efficient and not just a free for all, then it's a joke. So it's mm -hmm. like the most expensive waste of time. Yeah. When it could be the most expensive benefit. <laughs> the Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you.
Right. No, I think that's, that's a great point. It always, I always find it funny when people are rebuilding the model and the drawings at every single stage along the way. And you're like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> you know, you should have all be operating on the same <laughs> model in, you know, when it's working right. And in theory, that's everybody's right. on the same drawing and you're, you have that space to collaborate in and right. the efficiency gains, that's when you pick them up. But, um, well, yeah, then, yeah. I mean, because like a lot of companies, GCs that don't use it efficiently, the, the office guys may be all about it, may they run a great meeting, may push it. Then you get in the field and the superintendents are like, nah, I don't care. We're not using this crap. <laughs> right. And it's a joke. It's the truth. Right. I mean, then our guys are like, well, if they're not going to use it, I'm not going to use it. So, and right. then the tremble's no good and, and, and the model's no good. And then the as-builts are no good. So you just spent a extremely large amount of money for nothing yeah, and then everybody's frustrated with each other and you right. damage those relationships and then everybody's mad at each other yeah <laughs> or they're suing each other because they're you just went into litigation you know so or you're spending more money to create a another red line because nobody used the one that you paid a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars for yeah it just seems insane to me yeah it can go so, bad real quick <laughs> yeah Definitely. So bringing it back kind of full circle, you started by saying, you know, on your graphic design experience that your design is kind of your art form. Uh, I'd love for you to go more into that and, and kind of unpack that a bit more. Um, I have always been a big art person. I uh, love drawing. I took a bunch of art classes. And when I was in the field, to me, like bending the pipe, like it was terminating panels. So I used to always get the one that terminated panels. So I love taking all this time to make it look perfect. Everything mm. was color straight, bent, perfect nineties. And then as I got a little bit older and had my daughter, I, and they started doing CAD drawings in 3d. I figured out that I could not be out in the elements every day, all day and losing fingers and hunched over and I could start modeling. So I kind of taught myself how to use Revit. So that was a way, and I go, I can definitely go way over the top. Like, I love it. I will design every bit of it. I get really protective over it. I hate when people don't do it the way I did it. It's just, to me, it, it looks like uh, a gorgeous paint painting. Like yeah. we actually won an excellence award when we did a building in downtown. And one of the aspects was the design. So we had a bunch of four inch that had to be ran in this odd shaped floor. So they had to take this path and roll and, and bend up and, and follow this like elevated angle. And it uh -huh. wasn't like a 90 degree angle. And the guy matched the drawing, the model to a T. So we won an award for the end result. And it was awesome. That's awesome. It was, it was awesome. And then I had another guy that we did um, Al Gore's house in Tennessee and mm -hmm. it was a renovation he was doing to his parents' house. And he had this massive amount of equipment in a mechanical and a room and electrical room and a pool. Cause he had a bunch of farming equipment. So I had designed all the underground because they wanted everything underground. And the guy actually was able to run a bunch of PVC and it looked identical to the model. Like I've never had anybody do underground like that most people with underground don't care because concrete it's can't ever see it again but he did all of it identical so i used to 
I had a picture of both of them next to each other that I like. I almost had it framed. It was just impressive. That's like awesome. that is to me, it's artwork. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I can take it too far sometimes, and it's like, uh, Rebecca, that makes no sense to bend it like that. <laughs> You're like, but, but it's pretty. So yeah, it is. <laughs> I even say that it's pretty though. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points. Uh, that's that's great. Uh, so, if you could innovate one thing in the industry, what would uh, what would you make? Wave your your magic wand and innovate. Honestly, the the pride people take in their work, like just as a whole, people knowing that the people that I work around are in this because they love it and they truly mm-hmm. take a pride in what they do and 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 they they're proud of what the end result is. Mm-hmm. that's awesome i like that truly that's the one thing that bothers me the most <laughs> i think you should take pride in your work if, if you're not taking pride in your work why are you doing it you know like, i don't know how they get up and come to work every day i mean like if i didn't love what i do there's no way i could get up and come to work knowing that i've got you know this other percentage of people that aren't going to do anything and i just have to watch it like i just don't understand how somebody gets up and comes to work when they act like they really don't care like they just don't even want to be there. I agree. Uh, I, that sounds like a horrible way to spend uh, the next the majority of your 50, day. <laughs> 60, 70 years of your life. <laughs> That's the, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get that either. But uh, well, on, on innovation, a, you know, kind of what do you think of it? What, how does it become or when does it become practical versus just a, buzzword that gets thrown around in the industry all the time yeah so i think sometimes we go a little too far like when it gets to a point where people are like well the computer did it like the computer has a brain you know i think people become too dependent on it so there is definitely a fine line where it's like okay yeah it it's great and it can be a huge asset but it's just a computer or it's just a program it's only as smart as the person behind it like you do have to still Turn your brain on, and if something doesn't look right, say something. Like, that's the one part that I feel like it can be a, a double-edged sword where people are like, well, that's it. I did exactly what it said on there. Well, that doesn't all, I mean, like, I, I, I love saying, so I guess you're that person that walks right off the edge of the cliff because somebody said, just keep walking. So it just baffles me because I'll get that, that call all the time. Well, I did exactly what the drawing said. Well, the drawing was wrong. Right. So say Critical something. thinking is still needed. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think too many, there's, there, there's a fine line where there's, and it's not majority, but there is enough people that it gives them a scapegoat, a way to say, oh, it's their fault, not mine. So they don't want to take that accountability or they don't want to admit, oh, I messed up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a human being just like you. So they, it's just a blame game. And then they don't even think about it. And I, then, then it becomes miserable it's just a wasted it the tool is not useful in my opinion mm-hmm. and certain things i think still require uh human interaction some of the some of the benefits of, of doing all this stuff like over the last two years people have taken way too much advantage of of meetings remotely and and working remotely and there's just certain aspects of this field and and the complexity of certain designs you need to actually be able to carry on a conversation and interact with human beings and, and hash it out. Not to say that the, the, the electronics and innovation doesn't need to be tied in, but there, there is an 
aspect that is always going to be mandatory where people actually have to sit down and and figure out why something's not working or what what needs to be done to get it back on track. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. If you don't, then it just it's just miserable because uh, it, it won't work on certain things, especially when you're the front end of stuff. Like people just are too willing to, oh, we'll do a video chat or, uh, you know, we'll, I'll work on it remotely. Nope, you need to come out here, walk it. Let's let's look at it, see how it looks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it becomes a crutch, I guess is the better word. Yeah, no, I, I agree. My, my team would uh, probably roll their eyes hearing me say this, but I say it quite a bit uh, uh, that the more you can plan up front, the more detailed you can be upfront, the greater flexibility you have throughout the process then. And once you get the framework, obviously things are gonna change, especially in construction, things change all the time. As soon as you got a plan, it's outdated. But once you have that plan, it allows you so much more freedom and flexibility to make those changes and adaptions rather than trying to you know, build the plane as you're flying it. Yeah, I agree. well, how do people find out more information on uh, this or Allison Smith or connect with you if they want to? Uh, I so I don't really do social media. <laughs> I have Facebook for my parents. <laughs> so <laughs> they can get pictures of my daughter. I don't even think I post things about myself. Uh, honestly, uh, people that know me in the field is uh, like, I really am. I've not been, I've, I never got into social media when it became big. Like when I was younger, uh, Allison Smith, they're on LinkedIn and the, um, they have a website and, you know, obviously I think they're like one of the top four for this city, but word of mouth, I guess, for me. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> in, this, in this generation, but. <laughs> hey, no, that, that's, a, that's great. <laughs> uh, props to you for, for being able to, <laughs> to stay off of it. <laughs> Yeah, I just good. feel like what, now you... <laughs> I'm way too old to be doing it. So it's like, I'm not joining now. Yeah. My my mom always said growing up that if you never start a bad habit, you don't have to worry about breaking it. And so you never start the bad habit of social media. You don't have to worry about breaking it. Yeah, it's <laughs> always great. comical to me to how, how many people, I don't get it, like how they spend all of their life on those things. Yeah. I it's... get so tired of my phone <laughs> making all these stupid noises. Oh. That's right. There you go. Put it down. Put it down. Yeah. <laughs> Resist the temptation. I like <laughs> it. Well, final question for you, Rebecca. What does innovation mean to you? Hmm. Taking care of my daughter. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's the the way to adapt and and survive with the future. Like. Mm-hmm you have to be able to figure out a way to adapt to the innovation and the best percentage to interact with. Like you cannot, the whole old dog, new trick thing. Like if you aren't willing to ex- use innovation to one degree or the other, you'll just be obsolete. Like it's survival for me. I agree. Nice answer. Uh, I like the personal touch in there as well too i got a uh, three little kids when this episode airs i may have my fourth kid already my uh, god <laughs> we're on we're on baby count anytime now but <laughs> oh wow congratulations <laughs> uh, yeah thanks so definitely i think you know that family touch is a huge driver to keep on 
progressing forward. Oh yeah. Rebecca, thanks so much for taking the time and, and syncing up. This was yeah, really great. It was fun. It was enjoyable. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Before I share my Todd takes, I want to give a shout out to a past guest, Walker Lockhart of Dado for setting up the introduction with Rebecca. I hope you enjoyed hearing her perspective as much as I did. Personally, I walked away with so many points to think about. It was difficult to narrow it down to just three takes, but here we go. First take. To Rebecca's point on taking pride in your work, we as tech providers need to communicate better how technology actually enables field workers to regain pride in their work they feel may be threatened. It starts by taking the time to listen, engage, and truly empathize. Then take the needed action to meet them where they are and make it easy to use. Second take, training that resonates is a critical component as well. By making it more of a hands-on job simulation, you increase the likelihood of retention. Take time to explain the why behind what you are doing. Intentionality will always rule the day with everything from a new tool to leveraging BIM. Get everyone on the same page from the start. And final take, construction is a relationship business. Do not discount any relationship along your path. The simple fact is, that you have to get along with people in order to get any results. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.